Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Building a Sales Process for Repeatable Success. In it, you'll discover a simple nine-step process to build your sales process and how to measure its effectiveness, as well as best practices for reviewing and revising that process over time. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod332. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I'm really looking forward to speaking with today's guest. She's an associate broker at EXP Realty, and she's the creator of the Seven Saturdays Sales Training Program. She works with local real estates, helping them transition from paycheck employees to successful sole proprietors. She's the author of two books, Awake from the Darkness, The Homeowner's Guide to Avoid Foreclosure, and Become a Rockstar Real Agent, Seven Steps to Make $100,000 a Year. She's a presidential club member of the Sandler Sales Training Institute, and she's based in Farmingdale, New York. Welcome to the show, Jennifer Tucker. Hey, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. What a great intro. I appreciate it. Well, I am so glad you could join me, and I know um, our listeners will really appreciate hearing from you. But before we jump in um, to other topics, I'd love it if you could just introduce yourself to a, a bit to our listeners, kind of tell your story, how you got to where you are today. Oh, yeah. Um, Let's see. Jennifer Tucker. I um, was born and raised here in New York on Long Island. Uh, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My dad um, owned an oil company, and I think that's where I got my my spirit to own my own business and to uh, have some financial freedom from. Um, Let's see. Took a very traditional route route, uh, regarding schooling. Got my bachelor's degree, master's degree, Again, kept it traditional, got married, had a daughter, and uh, of course moved out of New York, like most of us are doing these days. Um, But wasn't feeling fulfilled in my role as a teacher. Um, I really like having stars next to my name, and I was getting lots of red X's as uh, administrators were kind of going through my lesson plans and didn't like what they were seeing. So I had this... um, feeling that this maybe wasn't the position for me and left and went into a children's fitness business and was really struggling building a business. And after two years, I took on a mentor, a sales mentor, and I was able to really start my business career then as my my thought about sales changed and shifted. And that's ultimately what I needed to get to where I am today. I'm still an active agent, and I mentor many agents in the local area as well in order for them to um, really have a flourishing career as a real estate agent. That's such a great story, and I can't tell you how many guests we have who are successful in sales and business development who had a parent who was a business owner or um, sold in some way. And it definitely that entrepreneurial spirit comes through. But I love that you've been kind of a constant, um, constantly seeking that that real fulfillment and that real passion. And where you landed, you're taking that educational background that you have, that work that you did to become an educator. And if I remember correctly, I think your, your specialty is in curriculum design and creation. And you're not just fulfilling yourself uh, by being a successful agent, but you're also teaching and guiding other people and developing and documenting best practices for them. So you're kind of, um, you've built everything together into where you are now. Yeah, totally true. I mean, I I didn't realize, I, I struggled as a, as a child, I want to say, or as a kid 
just knowing who I was. I mean, I took many different paths and uh, was always enthralled and, and, and thrilled with meeting the goal of whatever that task was. Like my end game was always goal oriented. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to put that in, um, into play as an adult. Um, again, I just kind of listened to what people told me to do. You go to college, you get a job and you get a pension, right? <laughs> and I wasn't happy with that. I, I needed to constantly be growing and moving. My mom's always called me the eternal student. And I think that's a reason why, because because I'm just so goal oriented to, to achieve a task and have those dreams and that task be fulfilled. And that's the one thing about real estate. Although I'm doing the same job over and over, I'm involved with many different people. So the task is always changing in what goal needs to be be met. And that's where I kind of find the thrill in real estate. Definitely. I can say um, as somebody who was uh, a very dedicated student myself, I had that same realization of when you're kind of just following a path all the way up through college, you wake up after and you're like, what next? And you don't get that affirmation. You know, yes, um, you can get maybe an annual performance review where you get some good feedback um, or people can tell you how the work that you do impacts them, Mm -hmm. but it's not as readily apparent as a field like sales where you can close a deal or not close a deal. And you can very much kind of give yourself a grade based on that. Or um, when you're teaching and training people and you see that light bulb go off uh, over their eyes or they give you um, good feedback in in an evaluation. And so you've been able to kind of find ways to get that level of feedback that you're looking for um, in in a way that also fulfills you professionally, which is really exciting. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the, the, uh, when I met a financial goal in real estate, it was like, like you said, okay, what's next? And that next, what's next was giving back and teaching other other agents how to create the path to prosperity. Definitely. So that's what we'll be spending the rest of our time on today. Um, because one thing that you have been able to do, um, you've been doing... Uh, you've been working as a real estate agent for a number of years now, and you've been able to maintain success through a lot of changes in the way people buy and the way people sell. I know um, even as we record this in uh, in November, it's going to be airing in a, in a few weeks, but we're hearing about Zillow and all the ways that, you know, they were mm-hmm. buying a bunch of houses and selling them. And then they, they turned that off and they, they lost all kinds of money last quarter. And the, the way that people look at real estate has changed drastically. Obviously, over the period of coronavirus, it's been a significant change. But even before that, there have been phases um, where things got better and worse. So I'd love if you could kind of big picture, and this is an impossible question to answer, but what are some of the best practices that you have to have that long-term success in sales? So it's not that you just got really good at you know managing a market that was happening one way, but you were able to kind of pivot as things changed. Yeah, I think big picture, it really is, like you just said, the pivot. It's the ability to be able to shift as society changes as well. I mean, you know, we can think about traditional salespeople going from door to door, and it was a a man in his 30s or 40s going door to door with a briefcase. I mean, that is ultimately changing, obviously, that we're online selling things these days. Um, But I think we've seen that patriarchal way of selling to more of a matriarchal way of selling. And what I mean by that is we've just softened 
our sales approach um, as time has has evolved, as we as we have evolved as salespeople, where we want our client or prospect in front of us to feel more comfortable. It's gone from this hard sell to a very soft, what are you comfortable with kind of questioning where we're able to meet the clients where they're at, because that's where they're at. They want to know that they are going to be able to feel comfortable in front of you so that they can trust you. Absolutely. I mean, when it comes to buying a house, that's likely going to be the most expensive purchase, uh, person has ever made. And the idea of trying to do a hard sell on that, just, I think we can all understand how that's going to turn people off. I think what I've noticed is um, successful salespeople like you have learned to be more focused on the buyer. And I think that's just another way of saying what you what you just described. But the idea of, it sounds like you don't just have one approach, but you're really understanding each buyer and what they need to be comfortable. And so um, kind of taking that into account with an overall strategy of best practices that you've kind of honed over the years. Yeah, and that really comes to knowing the person in front of you and knowing who you are, first of all, right? We all know that people are gonna buy from us if they like us, all right? So we have to be able, and people mostly like themselves. So we have to be able to um, kind of change ourselves. And I don't mean change who you are. I just mean kind of make yourself more like the person in front of you. And by that, we can simply do by body language and speaking their own language uh, verbally to the prospect in front of us. It becomes a matter a matter of knowing some kind of personality profiling so that you're able to match the person in front of you. Definitely. We will, we'll have to come back to that in more detail because I'm sure people want to think about, you know, the, how do you exactly do that? <laughs> the concept <laughs> makes sense. But I'd, I'd like to kind of um, keep going on this because what I've heard from some people and what I've seen myself is that as we see things changing around us, we discover that some things are still the same, right? Some things are true and have always been true. And some things we're just discovering for the first time. How have you kind of evaluated your process as you look to um, consistently stay on top of things? How do you try to figure out what what is worth keeping and what isn't? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think what I keep is what's working in the now. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning... Where are my leads coming from and are people engaged with them? Uh, The best practice that I could say that I I always keep is keeping in contact with my sphere of influence and my past clients. Mm -hmm. Um, Because those are the people I've already developed a relationship with. So it makes most sense that they're going to be able to possibly refer me people. My continually reaching out to them and and letting them know that I'm here or if they know of anyone who may be in need of any real estate help um, has really been my best practice to keep forward. Everything else to me, honestly, can um, fall off by the wayside if it had to. That would be the one core thing that I that I stay, have stayed constant with, with throughout the 10 years in real estate was just knowing that I needed to stay in contact with a constant base of people who could refer me business. And it's only a matter of 50, 50 people that I ultimately stay in practice with. And some of those people have left my little 50, 
50 uh, client groups, some have left, some have come back in. So, you know, but focusing on, on staying and sticking with and continually to grow that relationship is what's been key for me. Definitely. I love that you mentioned the number 50 because we have a tool that we um, that we a lot of times introduce to our clients called the nifty 50. And mm-hmm. that is that list of 50 people who you know, and they know you, they understand your business and you understand something about them as an individual. And they would likely pick up the phone if you gave them a call, or at least they'd give you a call back. <laughs> right? Um, right. And if you've got a list like that, Anytime you're kind of seeing a slump, you you lost out on something that you thought would would happen, or you just closed something big and now you're realizing, oh, I don't have a lot going on. It's amazing how you can just generate so much activity when you've got that base of relationships. Just yes. kind of pushing a signal out into that group creates possibility that that wasn't necessarily there before. And you can't maintain that with like 300 people. It really is 50 approximately, you know, it doesn't have to be that exact number. But that's about how many you can kind of maintain those close personal professional ties with. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I call it the, um, not the nifty 50, but your 50 contacts, right? And I always teach agents to kind of stick with those. And then another source has been our dirty dozen, which is those people who are in the industry, attorneys, title, title and mortgage, and so forth, home inspectors as well. Those dirty dozen are your your second wave of people to stay in contact mm. with as well. Definitely. That's a really great one. So kind of what I'm hearing from you is your core principle is relationship-based, is focusing on people and how they buy. And then if there's a technique that is working right now, you're getting leads from a certain place, or if there's a technique that just seems to have stopped working, you maybe will keep it in your back pocket for if things change back again in future. But you you try not to stay too emotionally attached to different methodologies um, because the world changes pretty quickly. Right, exactly. I mean, it, you know, the trend would be, you know, social media and YouTube and, and marketing. Don't get me wrong, I have those things, but they are where my, my core is basically focused or a lot of my marketing money is. Um, I realize it's an important resource to be out there, especially as we go into this new wave, but staying stagnant and still and not being able to shift with what is out there either. Um, just sticking to one one to three marketing and prospecting ways is really the best way to go. Definitely. Definitely. And I, uh, it's, it's funny to see, I do think uh, one big thing is like, you've got your core, which is that, that group of 50 people, that dirty dozen. I love that. Um, And you have, uh, you have an approach that works for you. Somebody else might have developed a very successful social media based presence, right? And that's the foundation that they're going to build on. Mm -hmm. Now, they're still going to need to learn how to be flexible of like, people aren't going on this, you know, if you, I'm going way back, but if you had a MySpace page that was driving all kinds of activity, you you don't want to stay on that forever, right? And we think even recently, um, Facebook, obviously, the way people think about it and and want to use it is changing. So you don't want to get too caught up in um, kind of the how, but the, the why and the purpose why? behind it is so much more important. 100%. So when it comes to, um, you know, we were touching on this earlier, and I, I want to spend a good amount of time focusing on it because it, it is such an important concept. When it comes to figuring out 
what who is that buyer that you're talking to? Do you have a standard approach or some best practices that you recommend people use if they're trying to better understand their buyers? Um, a standard approach. Um, I, again, I'm just I just keep in mind. I go in without um, an agenda mm. or false tenses to any meeting. Um, by the way, I never miss a meeting. I think that would be, if there's one key point, never miss a meeting here. Um, I don't care yeah, who it is, I go to it, right? But I go in just knowing who, again, who I am and how am I going to meet the client where they are at. Um, my best practices come and play, honestly, in the car when I'm just listening to some um, affirmations, typically before um, an appointment with a, either a buyer or a seller, that I that I am confident in, in my words and I know what I want to get across. Um, I go in without any scripts or, again, or any idea of what is about to happen. I just naturally let the conversation flow and, and gradually go with it. There's no sense in fighting, you know, the, the stream when it's floating downhill. Definitely. It's funny. Um, it, it's not a good idea to not have any sort of an agenda at all, right? It sounds like you've got you've got a, a clear picture of what you want to accomplish out of the meeting, what you want that, that person to potentially discover, what you want to be able to learn about them. But if you say, okay, we've got steps one through 10 on an agenda and somebody goes a little off base, um, you cannot be, you know, the drill sergeant. <laughs> guiding them back to to follow the agenda exactly. Um, obviously, sometimes if people are going off on a tangent that's not relevant, um, you might need to help guide them. But in general, um, just allowing people to to kind of drive. Again, going back to whatever it is that you happen to be selling, understanding that you're always selling to people, right? It doesn't matter if you're selling uh, real estate, obviously, or, or handling the sale of real estate um, for a person, or if you're selling a complex software solution, the it's always people that you're selling to. And so if you come in with these miscon- or with these conceptions of, of what that person might be like, um, and you try to kind of fit them into a category, that's often going to um, not serve you well. No, not, not ultimately serve you well. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of teaching our children the same thing that you're constantly always trying to sell yourself. We have a 15-year-old daughter who's looking at colleges right now and it's a sales process. You know, mm-hmm. you think it's just, you know, making an application and she's a highly competitive athlete and we're obviously seeking out the best colleges, but we want to we have a prospect list, right, that we're going to reach out to and constantly be in contact and we're going to see who really wants to, you know, reach out to us. And then uh, keep funneling it down to see who our best college is or who our best client is that is going to make us the best offer so that we can go to that school. It's the same concept here, but we're even trying it earlier with our kids so that they understand, you know, it sales is um, will always be present. It's it's been present since you were a kid. It's just a matter of continuing to recognize, you know, who and what you're selling. Definitely. When, you know, the first time you sell is when you convince your parents to get you ice cream when they didn't necessarily (laughs) want to get you ice cream, right? Or whatever other treat, you know, changing your bedtime, um, inviting a friend over. Kids are constantly selling. And you can see a lot of times people who are successful long term in sales are the ones who understand that 
and who haven't kind of forgotten that that exists, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people, I think, go through a stage uh, where these stereotypes of, you know, the used car salesperson who's pushy and obnoxious and annoying and all of that, and they, they start to think that that's what sales is. And sales is simply convincing somebody and helping them discover whether you guys can get on the same page, right? Whether they will go along with an idea that you have. And when it comes to business sales, a lot of times it's determining for both sides if you're a fit, right? If they're a fit for you and if you're a fit for them. But um, it, it's always that that process of just discovery and of getting on the same page. And if if you can really recognize how natural of a behavior that is. Like you said, it is happening earlier and earlier and more frequently. Um, so often, you know, people even feel like social media is a place where you're basically selling yourself and, right. you know, their presence online needs to be, needs to be set up that way. And so it's really, um, it's really interesting how, if you have this perception that sales is this like weird kind of dirty, not okay, sort of a thing, you're, you're really doing yourself a disservice because it's a skill that you can, that you can apply in a lot of different situations. Yeah, 100%. So you were just touching on um, whether it comes to, again, a school or whether it comes to a prospect, really filtering out what is the best kind of um, of prospect for you. And I know that's something that a lot of people really struggle with. They feel like any lead that comes in the door, anybody that, that you know, I get their name, they've got a pulse, <laughs> um, they feel like that's a good prospect. How do you... Um, recommend that people think through what their real ideal prospects are? Um, yeah, I, I think it becomes a matter of, like we've said before, knowing who you are. People are going to buy from you if you're more like them. So my ideal client is someone who's most like me. And um, I, I know that I work best with those who... Um, are very task and goal oriented are are natural leaders and who can still analyze at the same time and be cautious so my typical clients right now are investors or and builders because i tend to speak their language a little bit better than some other people who maybe have more emotional involvement and are just um a little bit more people oriented i'm not than I am. And they deal mostly better with maybe someone who is your typical homeowner, um, you know, in your, or your neighbor next door. I think by identifying who we are or as salespeople is really a best practice for you to understand who your ideal client with is, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Because you can adjust yourself a certain amount to a person whose style is different from yours. And that's that's okay. That's actually a good thing mm -hmm. um, that you're adapting. But there is only a certain amount that you can adapt. And eventually sure. you're just going to hit a point where, where things will come out. That, that example of being process-oriented. And if you like to be able to walk out of any meeting with clear next steps for you and clear next steps for the other party. And you're always going to do your next steps, but you have a mix of prospects. Some of them will do the next steps and some won't. You're going to get really, really frustrated <laughs> with half of your prospects and understanding that and just saying, first of all, can I, can I change that? Can I make this easier? Can I, can I come up with a different way? 
and if you can, more power to you. But if you can't, just understanding um, this is maybe something I need to state in an initial meeting. You know, I'm somebody who is going to get done what I say I'm going to get done. We're going to all have homework after after various meetings, and Amazing. I will get my homework done. And I expect you to get your homework done too, right? Okay. <laughs> I mean, we're always we're always closing, right? It, it becomes an ABC. Always be closing. Um, where we're setting these um, upfront contracts constantly, like you just said, okay, here is your homework. This is my homework. That's an upfront contract, verbal contract between two people. So if you're always using upfront contracts through your dialogue with your prospects, that'll set the tone for where the next step is. And if the buyer is a good fit for you to work with, because if they're not doing their homework, then you already know the answer. Definitely. It is such a clear buying signal if people are following up. And um, I would imagine it's a little less the case maybe in your in your situation, but, but it is still relevant. Um, you don't want to end up with a bad client that actually goes through the whole process. And, you know, in your case, they decide to buy the house or sell the house. Um, but but let's say you're in a in a service sort of a business, whether you're consulting, you're providing any any kinds of services. If somebody's obnoxious and very difficult to work with in the sales process, they're not going to get better once they sign up. And you're you're getting yourself in potential of, of a world of hurt if you you know you put your head down and bulldoze through and, and make it happen. It it still might end up you know causing you frustration on a long term basis. So again. Um, there are ways that you can adjust your process, ways that you can make it easier for people who aren't necessarily as inclined to follow the steps or who's, who are so busy that that they'll miss communications. But mm-hmm. um, it's it, there, there's only so far you can push that without um, without really setting um, kind of almost just a bad standard of interaction with that sure. person, and you're letting them get away with it, and and that kind of sets the expectation for how things will be moving forward. Oh yes. Um, something that I just find really interesting in, in what it is that you do is that you've, you've maintained this focus on teaching and on education. And it, it sounds like you're consistently pulling from your experiences and the best practices that you're learning to help other people and help them um, achieve their success. What, uh, how do you look at the idea of, um, ongoing training and development and who should think about um, pursuing that in their careers? Because I'd imagine that there are some real estate agents that are perfectly happy to be paycheck employees, right? And just go and put their head down and and get to the level that they're at and then go home and and turn things off. Um, How would you kind of distinguish who should be thinking about um, further development like your Seven Saturdays program? I think we all need to be thinking about uh, furthering our development, no matter where you are in your real estate career. Um, I, I think coaches and mentors and and being near an experienced agent really teaches you from the ground up what um, success looks like, sounds like, and feels like um, in order for you to get to the point of where you're comfortable with in your own real estate career. I um, mean, without mentors, I, I, I don't know where I would be, but a lot of real estate agents see um, making the jump to a coach as a financial um, dig out of their own pocket. 
Mm. What real estate agents, a lot of real estate agents don't do is realize that their brand is their business. Your Mm -hmm. name, uh, you incorporated is really your business wherein you are the CEO. And if you don't treat your name as a business, then you are that paycheck employee. And we leave, we, we go into real estate to leave the paycheck, which I never understand why, why, what the confusion is. Um, but once we're able to recognize that this is a business and we treat it as a business where we have income expenses and employees, and believe me, I'm an employee in my own business where I pay myself. Um, once we're able to change that mindset, then you realize making an investment in a coach or a mentor is not not money coming out of your pocket. It's an investment in your business to grow it. And that's where I think a lot of us as real estate agents get stuck. That's a really great point. And I, I can take that to the next level when it comes to so many other fields. A lot of times um, we see people wait for their organizations to invest in them if you're on a sales team. And um, what I'm hearing from you is anytime you're in sales, you basically own your own business, right? Um, there's You're driving so much of what you achieve. And you can, if you improve your abilities, if you improve your efficiency and your ability to leverage time, if you improve the, the quality of prospects that you're getting, you're going to see better results. And the best way to do that is, is ongoing training. And you can't just depend on the training coming to you and your boss saying, Hey, you know, we've got this training program we put together, but really just seeking it out on your own and, and viewing that as kind of a capital investment that you're making in you incorporated. <laughs> That's yeah. a great perspective. One of these resources uh, that I've utilized was Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, where he talks about being this paycheck employee and then going from business owner to investor, um, where where in business owner, you have a lot of active income and investor, you have a lot of passive income. My goal has always been passive income. I don't want to be working forever. And I think that's why we get into real estate is to, we have a realization that, aha, I can make money from real estate and then grow from it. But unless we're treating our brand like our business, you're not going to grow. You're just going to keep getting those commission checks and then using them to, you know, pay your own bills, go on vacation with, as opposed to, again, treating it like it's your own business. Becoming the investor is what the end goal and the end game has always been for me. Absolutely. And that's that's such a wise perspective to have and really does impact your day to day. I think one of the most important things you can do, and you've touched on this a few times in our conversation, is really just change your mindset. And if you can, if you can be intentional about the way you think about how you're approaching your career, about how you're thinking about yourself, about how you approach selling, success comes from having that that successful mindset. And um, it's really easy to just keep going and doing the same things that you've been doing, but to, to really take that step back and think about what is my goal for my career long-term? What do I want to achieve? What's the contribution I want to make to the world? Um, how do I want to live my life? And that really does inform so much of the, the day-to-day decisions that you make that if you haven't thought about, the mindset, if you haven't really 
done any intentional work on it, you're just going to kind of do the same things almost out of habit. Right. It becomes create, create, like you just said, creating an own vision of your life. What do I want for my a holistic approach to business? And that's what I recognize it, have recognized it as. Um, having this holistic approach where I'm ultimately feeding my mind, body, and soul with the the things that I need in order to grow each in each of those areas has really fueled my business to expand to a point where I never even thought it was possible. I had a vision of it, but in the day to day, it seems, it seems virtually impossible until I was able to gather and, and fathom what the three areas of my life that needed, needed fuel in order to be successful. Definitely. Um, when it comes to uh, the trends that you're seeing in terms of how people are buying and selling, are there any specific things that you've noticed that have changed? Um, and it could be on that buy side or on that sell side. I know you interact with a lot of people who are who are involved in selling, and I'm sure you're, you're seeing um, kind of the way that they approach it maybe is changing. I mean, since I've been a real estate agent, just the, the evolution in the 10 years of the internet, where people have all the information already, already at their hands, um, at times makes me think that a real estate agent may go away but, um, or, or some other type of sales, right? Um, right now, uh, at times, since the information is there so readily, will I be just the middleman Um but I don't think that that's the case at all. I think people are always going to need real estate agents for that hand-to-hand, face-to-face, um, even if it's virtually, um, notion. Because not everyone does. Not everyone now has the skills and tools to recognize the education that's on the internet. And Zillow has done that, um, you know, tenfold for us, where they just, you know, pushed real estate agents so far ahead where we had to catch up. Um, in the time that I've been an agent. But I think the education that buyers and sellers have today has really changed my approach from the beginning. Mm, that's that's such a great point. It, it really has changed from a time when you expected the person who was selling to you to educate you to a situation where you're looking to the seller to maybe validate what you've learned, yes. um, to potentially inform you of things you don't know you don't know, right? Of, of identifying those blind spots, things you wouldn't think to ask um, and wouldn't think to look for. But if you're coming in expecting, you know, I've got all the expertise and I'm, I'm just here to, to, you know, tell you exactly what you need to know, um, that's going to be off-putting because people have done that work for themselves. And right. that's a big way that, that things definitely have changed. I know I don't even I'm not even interested in buying real estate and I spend a lot of time looking at houses. So mm -hmm. <laughs> that's just everybody's right? pandemic you know, hobby. You know I think. Your neighbor's house is on the market, you know, <laughs> you know, with, um, you know, the, someone, the class mom's uh, just selling her house. I mean, the information's there. So what am I going to do? Come in and tell you the information you already know? No. What I've learned is I've become more of a consultant in real estate where I'm really giving them what goes on after the pricing of the house and the house is under contract. That's where I think a lot of people don't understand what happens. And it becomes more of an administrator as a real estate agent and a consultant as to what are your best choices um, as opposed to, okay, here's the price of the home. 
they're already there at times I'm going in and asking them, okay, so what do you want to put the house on the market for? Cause they already know. Definitely. And that's such a great, um, a great point. And you, you kind of touched on this a little while ago. That is how you make sure you're not, you don't become a commodity because mm-hmm. people are able to do so much of this heavy lifting themselves. And I'm sure, um, you know, despite the the challenges in that kind of automated buying process that have happened, somebody's going to come up with a an adjustment, and and that's going to continue to be a factor. And so, what makes you different and better than that? And if you can really think through that, it's back to what we were talking about earlier on mindset, the way you think about your buyers, the way you want to be of service mm-hmm. to them, and that idea of being a consultant, being an advisor, helping people understand the decisions that they need to make, the things they need to think about that they wouldn't have discovered. That's a huge value add and a reason people would want to work with you as opposed to just going right. online. Right, right. Totally. So... Um, I, I wanted to just recommend, um, I was thinking as we were talking, if you are trying to think of that mindset and, and that goal that you want to establish for yourself, um, listeners, I would recommend you go back and listen to episode 317 when I talked to Donna Detow, or De, I'm totally forgetting how to say her name, but I think it's Detow, um, of Elevate Your Spark, because she talks about setting those big goals for yourself. Mm. And I know you've touched on that and, and given some best practices, but that's a whole episode where all we did was talk about that. So um, recommend that to our listeners. We'll include a link to it in the show notes. Um, but speaking of resources, I'd love it if you could share um, some resources for our listeners. I know you've talked about Rich Dad, Poor Dad as a book that you would recommend. Do you have any other, whether it's a book or a training course or a TED Talk or anything else that you would recommend? Uh, yeah, one other book that I would definitely recommend is Make Them Beg to Be Your Client. It's a book by Dr. Dr. Angela Lauria. Um, she's a publisher for, for my own book. Um, her book really just sparked me into a whole new change in this sales method that we have. And really, um, like we've been talking about some, some really good and best practices in order for you to meet your clients where they're at. Definitely. That's a great title. And, and if you think of the times when you are actively buying versus the times when you are being sold, I think we all enjoy the buying process. <laughs> and, and from a sales perspective, I like it better, certainly when people are buying from me, as opposed to when I feel like I have to do all the heavy lifting and sell to them. So making people buy, beg to be your client, that's a, that's a good goal for a lot of yeah, us. Yeah, and I love that the title's great, right? Because we don't want to be chasing our clients. That's the last thing we want to do. Um, we want them to be coming to us and saying, please, please, please help me. Definitely. Oh, that's, that's such a great point. All right. If listeners want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you? Yeah, well, they can download my book, Become a Rockstar Real Estate Agent for free uh, for all your listeners at um, rockstaragenttraining.com. And they can always contact me through Instagram at Jennifer Tucker uh, 369 Wonderful. Well, thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Jennifer. I really appreciated our conversation and, and hearing your perspective. Oh, well, it was a great conversation. I really appreciate you uh, allowing me to uh, be a guest here. Thank you to our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything Jennifer and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three, three, two. As a reminder, If you subscribe to the show, you get every new episode as soon as it goes live. So make sure you subscribe for free wherever it is that you're listening. If you enjoyed the show today, 
the best way to help more people discover it is to tell them about it. So please share us with a friend. We'd love to hear feedback. You could leave us ratings and reviews wherever you're listening, or email us if you've got questions, if you've got guest suggestions, if you've got direct feedback, podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling.